This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, this is Joe Crane, host of Veteran on the Move podcast. And when I'm not helping veterans transition to entrepreneurship... I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what a great show we've got for you today because we're talking feet up, lunch pail down. That's right, we're talking retirement. And even if you ain't close, you'll still have something to learn from financial planner Derek Merkler. And from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. Ah, we couldn't help but include from this podcast, OG! Mostly because he had his nose pressed up against the window. He was so cute. Anyway, in our Friday FinTech segment, are you sick of waiting until Friday to get the money you've already earned? So was the founder of one company, so he started fintech firm PayActive. Here to describe how you can get paid for work you've already done, we welcome Safwan Shah. Of course, we'll save time to magnify someone's money situation and see how the team does with my amazing trivia. And now, the guy we're surprised hasn't detoxed himself to death yet, Joe Saucihai. This detox thing is seriously horrible. It is absolutely seriously horrible. So I'm glad I get an hour of not thinking about it because we're going to make a podcast. And let's start with the guy sitting across the table from me. It's my good friend, the other guy, or as we call him, OG. On your detox, you've got a few days of like that foggy mind where you just can't can't do it. It goes in waves and stop moving People your hands like that, please. Eight years. <laughs> you were doing a right. detox. Right. It's like, what's new? It seems like your mind's been going in and out. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, how are you? Your old age. Well, thank you for pointing that out. How are you today, man? <laughs> Another beautiful day in North Texas. Thank you for asking. Fantastic. And a woman who's not in North Texas, you just heard her laugh. Uh, so I'm sure she's here on our shortwave all the way across the country in the deserts around Las Vegas. It's Paula Pant. Can you detox from a podcast? Is that a thing or is that just considered a sabbatical? I, you know, the longer I do this, the more I consider it a detox. 
Because it would be both horrible and great all at the same time. I said they they would keep telling me it's great. I'd feel horrible. I'm sure I'd shake. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Have you done one of these before? No, no, I haven't. A detox. Uh, no, I've done a little bit of intermittent fasting, but I've never done detoxing. Yeah, proper. T- two days into it, not worth it. But I've heard mm. I've heard it's day four where they get you. So we'll see. <laughs> And wondering why he's here. And I think he's somewhere on the East Coast. We're about to find out. It is a guy we've known for a long time who hangs out in our Facebook community, always has a great point of view. Our friend Derek Merkler. How are you, man? Hey, doing great, Joe. I've been a listener for about two years and I'm actually out in upstate South Carolina. So when people ask where I live in South Carolina, I pretty much say as far from the ocean as you can get and still be in the state. Where would that be? Is that like the uh, Greenville-Spartanburg area or just outside of Charlotte? Is that where you are? Well, it's uh, southwest of Greenville. So the county I live in is Oconee County, and it borders both Georgia and North Carolina. Now, you're a financial planner, and you work with members of the military primarily. Yep. Uh, I focus primarily on veterans who are getting ready to transition out of the military or have recently done so and navigating the financial aspects of that transition. And that's a difficult time of life for a lot of people, isn't it? I mean, I've seen some of the studies out of USAA and other places. Derek, that's a tough time for people. Well, it's a whole new world for a lot of veterans. I mean, they've for the most part, they've spent their entire adult life in the military, whether it's three years or five years, 10 or 30 And the civilian employment and the civilian world is very different in terms of benefits, things that were taken care of for their whole lifetime so far are now completely new and completely different. Yeah. And I'm assuming then you're a veteran yourself. Yes. Yep. I served eight years as an army aviator flying Apache helicopters. Well, thank you for your service, man. We appreciate it. One thing we have to say before we get to the start of this show, this show is brought to you today by The Stacker. The Stacker is our email that goes over my life. I did not, Derek, serve in the military. I did go to the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina, across the state from you. But uh, you will follow all of my financial mistakes. If you want them in little bite-sized increments, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker to get that. And uh, you will find out all the stuff that I messed up so that uh, you don't have to make those mistakes yourself. Things like realizing after it was too late that the mini bar wasn't free, but that's a whole different story. (laughs) So we got a great show today. We got Derek Merkler here, got OG here, we got Paula here. Let's talk some emotions around retirement, shall we? Let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our piece today comes from our friend Fritz, who actually blogs at the Retirement Manifesto. However, this was an interview that he did with uh, Rockstar Finance. And Fritz currently is on a really cool trip across the United States. He calls the Great American Road Trip, which has been a lot of fun following him. But he writes here, If you have a type A personality, you'll feel some anxiety thinking about what you'll do after retiring. I think everybody worries about that. And the truth is not everyone enjoys retirement. One poor guy told me he's basically miserable and misses his job. Since retiring, he sits around and watches TV all day. That's why I think you'll need to spend time figuring out what your hobbies are, what your passions are, and exploring what brings you a sense of purpose. 
The time you spend before retirement thinking about retirement is directly correlated to how smooth your transition is going to go. So that's how you minimize anxiety. And then he goes over five lessons to help you make the most of retirement. But it's, to me, though, Derek, I'm going to start with you. It's not just about retirement. You work with people in transition. I mean, people have had kind of their day dictated to them while they're in the service. And it's probably a whole new world even then for some young people making that transition. Well, absolutely. And in financial planning, as you all know, the retirement is kind of that big elephant in the room. But the transition out of the military is a great opportunity to actually sit down and lay out what those long-term goals look like. And it may be retirement in in the traditional sense. It may be the more modern idea of financial independence and then being able to do what you want when you want, not necessarily be retired. Yeah. His first thing he says is to find purpose by sinking your teeth into a project. Paula, what do you think about this first one? I like the idea of finding a project, something that you're passionate about. Like in his wife's case, it was building fences for dogs who had always been on chains. He later actually gives the example of volunteering for the Humane Society when he talks about building structure in his day. So there are a lot of things that that ignite your passions that, that you can do upon retirement and that you can do before retirement as well. It's just, you know. The more time you have, the more time you have to do it. Well, and I want to talk about that. I want to get away from retirement for just a second, Paula, because it seems like, and somebody told me that this happens most often in the United States, that the second you meet somebody, they say, what do you do, right? Mm -hmm. Like immediately, your identity is wrapped in what you do. Do you think that that's part of the reason we need to find a project in retirement is because so much of our identity is this career we had? That might be part of it, yeah. But I think also there's just a very practical matter of, what do you do with your days? I mean, once your chores and errands are done, what else is there that's going to fill your days? I think everybody needs a project in order to to occupy themselves, to occupy their mind. But it's got to be, oh, gee, I think more than just, to use Paula's words, filling your days. I mean, I think it's got to be a little more spiritual than that, don't you? Well, maybe spiritual, but certainly meaningful. It doesn't have to be, you know, something around church or something like that, although that's certainly an option. I think a lot of times people wait until retirement or getting close to retirement to think about this. And there's nothing wrong with doing these things on the weekends or part-time or, you know, during your vacation or whatever the case may be. Maybe you like to restore classic cars. There's a guy that I knew uh, in Northern Michigan that he took probably the better part of three years to put this, you know, I don't even know what kind of car it was, but he hunt, I mean, his job was to hunt around and look for the authentic parts for this 1930s vehicle that he was putting together. And that was what brought him joy. And, you know, it kept him busy. But you don't have to wait until you're 65 to start doing that. You can do things that you like to do on uh, other times throughout your life so that you have an idea of what that looks like as you get closer to financial independence. Derek, you've got something? Oh, yeah. Just building on OG's comment, retirement is in today's world where people are living longer is less about being able to sit at home and more about being able to do that fulfilling thing that maybe financially you couldn't do before. And as people are approaching retirement, retirement especially, um, like OG said, doing it on the nights and weekends to figure out that passion is probably the best course. Yeah. When I said spiritual, I guess, OG, that's what I was thinking. Wasn't so much uh, church related yeah. or religious, more uh, meaningful. Yeah. Finding joy. 
Yeah. Paula, but I also like this thing that I think that Derek and OG are alluding to, which is practicing this stuff ahead of time, right? I mean, they haven't out and out said it, but kind of getting your feet wet with what am I going to do with all this time ahead of time makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've never heard anybody say, I'll watch TV when I'm retired or I'll watch (laughs) movies when I'm retired. And yet people seem to find the time to do that. And so if people can find the time to watch movies, even while they still have a job, then I think people can find the time to do uh, other things that are perhaps more meaningful. But there are so many shows on Netflix I want to watch. Have you found this to be a problem? (laughs) Uh, I don't have Netflix, so no. Yeah, right. That's right. Paula doesn't even know what Netflix is. I forgot who the hell I was asking. (laughs) (laughs) Is that like a uh, digital blockbuster? (laughs) What is this Netflix you speak of, Joe? I have no idea. His his second point here was uh, try starting a blog. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I think this is very Fritz, a.k.a. the author specific, but... Uh, Derek, have you tried starting a blog? Yes, I have a blog for my own business, but for this topic, I'm kind of mixed on that. I mean, yes, it's certainly important to stay engaged socially, which um, the interviewee mentions here, but, you know, is that the way to do it online? Maybe not. Yeah. Oh, gee, you and I tried starting a blog. That went well. I was going to say, I've done this. I've started and stopped this twice already. I should be retired (laughs) by Fritz's math. No, but the point that he makes about staying connected with people, I think, is what he's talking about. You know, when you have a regular nine to five job and you have your rhythm that you, you know, during this period of time, we talk about the football team. And during this period of time, we talk about the baseball team. And then and then we talk about our summer plans. And you kind of have this rhythm with your colleagues at work over the water cooler, so to speak. And then all of a sudden you take away that water cooler. Who do you go to lunch with? Who do you have coffee with? Who do you uh, hang out socially with. And it's important to, again, all of this you have to figure out before you get to financial independence. You can't stop working today and then say, oh, I should probably think about who my friends are going to be now. Uh, especially if you're an early retiree, which everybody uh, seemingly aspires to be. If you retire when you're 42, all the other 42-year-olds pretty much that you know are probably at work all the time. I have a pretty flexible schedule and I like that quite a bit. I just, I just called my brother a few hours ago and I was like, hey, I'm talking to him. He goes, did you call about something? And I said, yeah, I just called to BS. He goes, man, I got, I'm at work. Like, <laughs> I thought you needed something. And I said, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We'll, we'll talk later. It just, it just spaced on me that he's not an entrepreneur. He doesn't have, you know, the flexibility in his day that he can just say, well, this, for this period of time, I'm just going to you know, eat a sandwich and chat on the phone or something. So you have to think about all this stuff long before you get to it. Yeah. And it's funny, Paul, I was just thinking about people like you and I and the FinCon community, this, this community we belong to people who do financial blogs and podcasts and that kind of stuff. Like that does bring a lot of meaning into, into my life anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it, it brings a lot of meaning and joy into my life. Absolutely. But if what I was looking for purely was a social outlet, then uh, there are more social things that you could do. <laughs> there are less than... dirty people than the FinCon community. <laughs> <laughs> well, even like blogging, the, the practice of blogging is sitting by yourself in front of a laptop and writing. You know, it, it's reading and writing and those are solitary activities. Sure, you can go to a coffee shop, but you're not interacting with other people. So if your goal purely is socialization, then doing something that is inherently interactive, you, such as community theater, 
would reach that goal more, right? You can't do community theater alone. I mean, unless yeah. it's a one-man show, but that's, you know, right. you know what I mean. That is not community theater by definition. It's just theater. Oh, that's theater. true. That's true. <laughs> it's solo theater, right? NOG to uh, to kind of defend our honor here a little bit. Those are my people, the FinCon people. Those are my kind of nerds. Like mm-hmm. I remember I got to my first FinCon, uh, Paula, you might not know the story, but I got to my first FinCon, which was the second one ever in Denver. And within five minutes, I'm, I'm walking down the street on my way to dinner with two of my online buddies. And we're talking about term versus whole life insurance. I'm like, this is a, <laughs> who else is going to have this conversation? Three nerds walk into a restaurant. (laughs) One says to the other, buy term and invest the difference. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being a nerd. That's right. And a whole fight breaks out, right? Especially if you're in the club of nerds, there's nothing wrong with it. No, it was good. But Paula, sticking with you for a second, this process though, maybe not the blog piece, which is very solitary, but this idea of journaling and kind of getting, there's a lot of emotions when you do this transition. This idea of journaling through a blog might be a good idea. Oh, yeah. I think journaling is a great idea. Prayer, meditation, talking to a therapist, reading books about psychology, um, even yoga, like uh, any reflective activity could be really useful in a time of transition. And retirement is one of the most severe and kind of to that extent traumatic, if you want to frame it in that way, life transitions that you could go through. Derek, I'm sure when you work with people transitioning out of the military, this next one makes a lot of sense. Create structure if you need it. I mean, you've had structure your entire career so far, and all of a sudden it's wide open. Yes, absolutely. In this case, when we're talking about retirees, I certainly agree with the article here. Certainly for those first few months, it might feel good to sleep in and lounge around and watch those Netflix TV shows like we were talking about before. But I think a retiree will eventually realize that they're wasting their days and they'll, they'll want to have some sort of structure to make the most of the make the most of the time they have. Yeah, I found OG when I get up and exercise first thing in the morning, which I absolutely hate doing even though I work in mom's basement, it, it creates such a better day. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's everybody's got their own thing, right? I mean, for me, there is no chance in H-E double hockey sticks that I will get up before eight o'clock unless it's to do something I really want to do, like play golf or do something else. But I think for me, like the exercise component, you got to find your own rhythm, right? You know, for me, it's more of of the early afternoon time frame that works. But uh, uh, I also agree with the hating it part. Man, I am. If I wake up at eight o'clock. I am in trouble the rest of the day because I just, I've got this bad case of the blahs I can't get over. Mm, okay. Oh, yeah. I guess I should probably tell my partner in a business that I don't sleep until eight o'clock. So I, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm up bright and early at uh, 5 15 every morning with the sun and, <laughs> right. and uh, working very hard. Yeah. Very pa- hard. Uh, hard Paula, what's hard your, did you keep a regimented schedule? It's not regimented. I do feel a lot better when I wake up early. Like this morning, I woke up before the sunrise. And so being able, and I didn't even necessarily do anything productive. I I poured a cup of coffee and I sat out on my balcony and I watched the sunrise and I checked Instagram. And, you know, like it wasn't necessarily productive time, but just being up at that hour makes me feel a million times better about my day. 
Yeah. I got done running yesterday at like 645 and I was sitting down to start working at 715 and I, and I just felt great that I was on top of it. But Derek, you were saying you, you're, you're there early morning guy. Oh yeah. Even when I was in the army, I actually hated waking up at five or five thirty to get in the car and, and drive to base and do PT, um, physical training, sorry. And, uh, but now I'm up at five 30 on my own, not always to bust out the door and go running. I, I have that same cup of coffee, but, uh, yeah, it feels great to be up early and get the day started. And I know a lot of veterans who are out of the military now and do the same thing. You guys should try the 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. schedule. I mean, by 9.30, you start powering down. 9.45, you're in bed. Sleep by 10. Try to get some 10-hour sleep nights in there and see. I mean, I'll tell you, talk about feeling energized by 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm feeling great at 8 o'clock. I just got 10 hours of sleep. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's so fun. I, I'm more in, in uh, Joe's camp on that one. Uh, I could get 10 hours of sleep or 12 hours of sleep, and I will feel dead. Yeah. But if I get up early... And get started. I feel great. All right. <laughs> three to one, dude. Agree to disagree. Th- th- I've been getting up early <laughs> lately for this new project of mine. And uh, nothing is scarier than me up in the morning early trying to do the thing that I'm trying to do right now. So, Well, and, and, and I've been around you at 7 a.m. And nothing is scarier than being around you at 7 a.m. <laughs> <That's> so, <true. laughs> so there you go. Uh, last, relocating after retirement can be stressful. He says, um, I didn't retire, but I, and I moved back to a uh, part of the country where I used to live. But I got to tell you, even going back to someplace where I used to live, not having been here in 10 years, developing new social circles and stuff, man, is it, it is hard. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on anybody waiting till retirement. And yet, Paula, I see these things online. People say retire to Portugal as an example, which looks awesome. But, but could you imagine quitting your job and moving to Portugal tomorrow where you know nobody if you've never been there? Actually, I think in that case, retirement would be helpful in that you would have the time to go to a lot of social events. So you would have the time to go to to get on meetup.com and look up expat meetups and and go to those. Whereas if you're trying to balance it with a, with work, then you might want to to go to meetups or to go to book readings or to take classes or to do all these things where you could socialize and meet people, but you just don't have the time between uh, your working and then just chores and errands and all of that. You can maybe go to one meetup a week while you're working. Whereas if you're retired, you could go to something every day. Oh, gee, when you see people retire and move, super stressful. Well, it's super stressful no matter when you, when you move, as you alluded to already. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who are doing it the right way are dipping their toes into it. I have a, a client who's retired now, and their plan is to spend a little bit of time traveling in big chunks so that they can identify where they where they ultimately want to be. You know, it's one thing to vacation when you're working. You know, you spend a week in the panhandle of Florida, or you spend a week in Orlando, or you spend a week in Sea Island or whatever, and you go, well, this is great. Sure, it's great. You're on vacation. <laughs> Those are all the great places you're going to visit, you know. But to, to but to assimilate into the community in those areas and and use big chunks of time, six, 10, 12 months at a time to say, I'm going to I'm going to live here for a while and find out what the grocery stores are like and, you know, the traffic pattern. And do I like the newscasts and, you know, just those things that you take for granted in your community that uh, 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 you get a better sense of 
where your people are, so to speak. And uh, if you've got the opportunity to do that, I think that's a great way to go about it. Yeah, find out more about what the locals do and not just the touristy stuff. Uh, let's let's do our big takeaways because we're out of time, guys. We'll let Derek have the first word as our guest. Paula, what's the big takeaway from Fritz's piece here? I would say the big takeaway is to be intentional about the way in which you live, regardless of whether you're retired or working. OG? Be intentional in your decision-making on, on retirement. <laughs> Are you just specifically re-saying what Paula said, but leaving out half of it? <laughs> it was so good. I had to say it twice. <laughs> so, well, thank you. Derek, normally I'd say you'd have, you'd be third, but I guess you're second. <laughs> you get the second takeaway and the last one. Well, from all this, the, the big takeaway for me is be intentional and plan ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to alter my takeaway to be unintentional. <laughs> Derek, there at Parsonex Advisory Services, do you uh, get a check every other week or do you just pay yourself whenever you decide that it's time or how does it work? Well, Parsonex Advisory Services is a nationwide company made up of independent advisors. So each person, each advisor is focused on his or her specialty. And so for us, since it is a large organization, we get paid every couple of weeks. Gotcha. Well, do you ever wonder like it's Wednesday or Thursday? It's not the Friday before you get paid. You're like, dude, I already earned that money. Why can't I get it now? (laughs) For me, no. (laughs) I don't. That's for a lot of people, though. And uh, this guy, actually, I think might have had the same thought himself. And so rather than sit and worry about it, guess what he did? He created a company focused on this. And today on our Friday FinTech segment, let's learn about PayActive. And here joining us walking down to the basement is Safwan Shah. And coming down the stairs to the basement, it's our new friend, Safwan Shah. How are you, man? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you could be here with us. Your idea is so innovative. And yet, if anybody stopped to think for a second about combining technology and how we're paid, it seems so straightforward. But was this a personal issue for you that you were trying to solve? Did you see something in the marketplace? Tell me about how uh, PayActive came to be. I think most things are personal, and that is what makes them unique. So, yes, it was personal. And um, at one point uh, in my life, I was in debt, had no savings, and couldn't get credit for sure. So getting through a month uh, wasn't easy. So my problem was never how much I was paid. It was always when I was paid. It was all about timing. So fast forward, you know, 10, 12, 15 years later, I was retired, looking for a purpose, reading Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, and pretty much had time to play golf every day. And I did play golf every day. It was at that point, I think, I decided to build the technology that would make it possible for cash-strapped, stressed-out, hardworking Americans to be able to access a portion of what they've already earned. And mark my words, what they've already earned so that they do not go deeper in debt, 
face the indignity and embarrassment of borrowing small amounts. So if there is a background, that was the background. A, it was personal, and B, it was all about timing. Yeah, and it's funny because when this was first presented to me, of course, I'm so used to being paid every other Friday or at the end of the month that I thought, well, well, why not wait to the end of the month? And then I thought, wait a minute, this is my money already. What is the cost? Because I'm sure you've looked at this. What is the cost to an HR department uh, uh, to, to, to implement a program like yours where people can take a percentage of the, the money they've already earned ahead of time? Nada. Zilch. Zero. And that's why? It's free. Because of the technology? Because the technology exists now? Uh, yes. Uh, when it comes from PayActive, which is, by the way, the name of my company, we do not charge anything from the employer. Now, if they choose to pay that nominal fee that an employee has to pay to access the service, that is up to them. They can subsidize it. But hundreds of businesses have gone live. They haven't paid us a penny for this. We make our money through the service. Gotcha. Okay. But but does it cost them more in terms of HR, like people, uh, no. people putting things in a different place or anything like that? No, the technology is such that it has, we've pretty much done all the heavy lifting. So it's an overlay. So an existing system, whatever that may be. And as you know, you know, payroll systems are of various types, time inter- attendance systems, various types, inf- information security, all kinds of things. So we account for all of that. And we pretty much overlay no additional cost of HR or personnel or hardware or software. Yeah. And it, what's funny is, as you know, I already knew the answer to those questions, but those are the things people are thinking, oh, this must be onerous. It's going to be difficult, but it's very easy to let people have their money in a timely fashion. Let's talk about how it works though. Let's go from the company side first and walk through it. Then let's go from the employee side. So if I'm somebody uh, working at a company or I own a company and I'm thinking about implementing this, tell me how that works. From the business side, uh, it is very straightforward. What we require in order to calculate how much a person has already earned at any point in time, we require how many hours they have worked. So we plug into time and attendance systems of various types, and they come from different companies. So we talk to them. So we have some kind of access to time and attendance data. Uh, It can be up to the previous day. It can be up to the minute. It can be an API. It can be a file sharing thing. So we do that. So first thing is access to time and attendance data. The second thing is that uh, since we work with businesses, we are a B2B provider, we need to send them back information on who among their team members, associates, employees has accessed their earned funds. So we need that integration or that file exchange to happen. Over time, we've become very good at it. So any payroll system, I won't name any specific one from, you know, whatever, the largest company in the country to the smallest to uh, homegrown uh, systems, we will talk to them and we'll send a file which will allow that employer to deduct that amount of money which the employee has already taken and create a paycheck. Gotcha. So, So everything is done automated. The amount of work required few minutes. That's amazing. I mean, on on one hand, it's not amazing because you look at the things that we're doing today. But once again, this is an area I haven't seen people innovate in. 
Let's talk about the employee then. If I'm the employee and I want to access my funds before next Friday, instead of going to the owner of the company and saying, hey, can I get a short-term loan for my own money? What, uh, how does that work? So uh, there is an app for that. Uh, PayActive has a mobile app. An employee, a user can see how much is accessible to them. So there's a you know mobile app. You start it. It says accessible amount. So we allow up to $500 and up to 50% that they've already earned. So they can see that amount and they can access it. They can pay bills with it. We have more than 80,000 billers connected to us. They can start a savings program through our app. They can uh, call an Uber ride without having an account at Uber. They can uh, pay for an Amazon purchase without having a card or a credit card and so forth. And this pay for Amazon through us. We will take care of it in the background. Uh, They can load any kind of prepaid card that they carry. They can transfer money to any bank account across the country. Thousands of banks, they choose the bank. We will move the money instantaneously. And finally, we discovered that a large number of people don't even have bank accounts. They're what I call the financially excluded in the U.S. So for them, we have a relationship with Walmart. You get a PIN number on your mobile app. You walk into any Walmart store and free of charge to you as a user, as an employee, you can pick it up as cash. I know you have stories of people where this ability has changed things for them financially. Are you able to tell us, could you tell us any stories, maybe change the names to protect people, but let us know kind of how has this affected people so far? It makes me, you know, I choke up when I think of those stories because I may have met a few thousand people uh, in this journey. We serve hundreds of thousands, but I must have personally met a few thousand. I've met heads of household, 40s, gender, race, color doesn't matter. When you are in a hard time, you're in a hard time and you need money. Paid off payday loans. Was able to fly to see my son who had been in a fire. I was $100 short. Uh, Another one, I was getting evicted. I was $130 short on my rent. I was able to take money and do that. The one that touches me the most, my daughter wanted a $30 backpack. I was able to buy it. Another one was happened in Louisiana with me. A lady was told that I was from PayActive and she came to me and with an angry face, she said, I want to be able to use it for, you know, $50. You limit me at a lower end for, you know, up to 60 or 80, some limit we had set because we didn't want people to take smaller amounts and take it daily because, you know, we all become judge and jury on people. Yeah. And even we are responsible for that. So I said, ma'am, I, I don't know if I did it deliberately. She said, I only want $40. Why does it ask me that I have to take 60 I mean, there are story after story. You can be 20 years old. You can be 50 years old. You can be a grandfather. You can be. It's all about security, financial security. It's all about personal dignity. Do people get worried, though, that they're borrowing from really from their future in some ways? Or are they not borrowing from their future because of the way that we've always thought about how we are paid? And maybe we need to think differently about that. (laughs) 
there is no future here, right? This is the past. We are always paid in arrears. Let me give you an example. You pay your landlord in advance, right? You pay your vendors upon delivery or you have terms with them. Your customers pay you the moment you serve them, whether it's a juice or a coffee. I mean, I go to Starbucks, I pay them at that moment. But the person behind the counter, they wait two weeks to get paid. Now, they are the ones that need it the most. And meanwhile, simultaneously, they're paying all these onerous fees of overdrafts, late fees, payday loans. So they're never taking money from the future. For that, we have large-scale global economies which borrow from the future. But the individuals, they're simply accessing their $200 that they've already earned. Let's talk about fees, by the way, while we're talking. How do you guys make money then? Is it through your relationships with these different vendors? How do you you make money? So we actually front uh, the funds from our balance sheet or through our relationships with banks and lenders. We give the money out first, and then we are reimbursed by the employer on the day of when they run the payroll. So we are assuming the between paycheck funds. Our service fee or service cost is designed around a membership construct. It's $5 for a two-week pay period. There is no interest rate. If you do not use it in a particular pay period, let's say it's a two-week pay period, it's $5. If it's a weekly pay period, it's $3. Only applicable or charged if you use it. So if in an entire year you needed to use it four times to avoid a you know, $50 rental late fee, that's all you'll pay. You'll pay $5. For $5, you can get access to funds multiple times, not to exceed in an aggregate $500. So it's designed to help. It's not a transactional model. It's not a model which draws them in to do more transactions. Gotcha. It is so fantastic. I'm so happy to talk to you about it because, well, and let me just ask you this. Let me ask you this. If there's an employer out there who wants to add your service to the options with their employees, where do they go? How do they find out more? They go to payactive.com, our website, www.payactivewithoutany.com. There are multiple calls to action and forms and so forth. They can click on those. That's the quickest way. They can do that in the next minute. Uh, They can always find me somewhere on the internet uh, I can give you my email address if that's um, reasonable. I'm Safwan at payactive.com, as most people would guess. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, you know, we're not hard to find. Awesome. And you know what? If you're out walking the dog or on your morning commute, we have you covered. We'll link to uh, Safwan and also to Payactive on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Thanks so much for giving us a short tour of what you guys are doing to Payactive. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and thanks to Larry W., who just sent me this note. Hey, Doug, your voice is like sandpaper to me. In fact, the cat hisses whenever you start talking and all the dogs around our farm howl like it's Thursday at the Sizzler. Well, Larry W., thanks for the feedback. Isn't that great? Everyone seems to have a big reaction whenever I'm on the podcast. In fact, 
Larry, today is the anniversary of an important date that I'm sure you were alluding to in your letter. It's the date sandpaper was patented. Just like my golden voice box, imagine just how much money that's made over the years. But trillions, I'm sure. So here is today's goodness, team. What year did Isaac Fisher Jr. patent sandpaper? I'll have your answer right after this. All right, we explained the convoluted, complicated rules to this game to Derek backstage. Derek, you, you, you got it? The patent of sandpaper? No idea. All right, all right well, well, hold on. Do you just understand the rules of the game, though? Oh, yes, I got it. <laughs> He's got it. All right. <laughs> the score right now is uh, Len, who is not here today. So Derek is playing on behalf of Len Penzo. Len just took the lead with seven while OG was away. OG has six and Paula, who is making a big run for it. Kind of Paula, you stopped there for a week at five. Yep. Still at five. Just, just taking a breather. Exactly. Right. The road to the top of the mountain is long. (laughs) Uh, Paula though, because you're at five, that means you get to decide, do you want to guess the date that sandpaper was patented first in the middle or last? I will guess last Joe. Aha, uh-huh, that's strange. OG, how about you? Middle or first? I'll go to. All right, which means, Derek, <laughs> shock of shocks, a.k.a. not shocked at all, you are going to guess first what day was sandpaper patented? What year? Excuse me. All right, so before I do this, you have to promise me that you don't share my contact information with Len because I don't want his hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, we've everybody here has seen Len play. There's going to be no hate. Uh, well, I mean, I don't even know the right century to guess for this one. Since I don't even know where to start, I'm going to go with 1895. 1895. Anything behind that at all? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gee, how about you, man? Oh, let's see here. So who, who is the, uh, who is the patent? His, his name was Isaac Fisher Jr. Good. So we know he's dead because you said was. And he's from Vermont. Ooh. Still living there. Very happy. (laughs) (laughs) Isaac (laughs) is uh, kind of an older name, I guess. I don't know. Um, So 1895 is on the table. I was thinking it was a little earlier than that. So I'm going to say 1837. (laughs) 18... 37, just to make sure that Paula has a wide moat. Well, and so realistically what this means. You say this every week now. (laughs) I should have guessed a really lower number and then made her choose. You should have guessed like year one. (laughs) Well, so really what this means is that my guess, if it's closest without going over, I could guess either year one or... 18, oh, I'm sorry, what were the two years? It was eight, your 1837 and 1895, yep. were the two guesses? Yeah, Derek had 1895. Okay, so then my options would be 1838 or 1896 or one. <laughs> Although, yep. I, I won't guess year one simply because he lives in Vermont, so this has to be uh, <laughs> after the founding of the United States. I'll still take it back to like 1500 just to be on the safe side. <laughs> Does that mean you are going 1500? You know, yeah, I think it happened. Oh, geez. Hold on. Let me think about this. 
Yeah, I think it happened early. I'm going to guess uh, I'm going to guess the year 1500. <laughs> All right, it'd be great if it was 1499. <laughs> oh, that'd be so awesome. But Verm- Vermont didn't exist in 1499. I mean, not in its Vermontian incarnation. Well, the place currently known as Vermont that now, you know, that in those days, no, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we would tell you right now, but we're going to make you wait for just a second. We'll tell you just after this excellent piece about yogurt. We hear a lot in the news about Greece being in debt. But actually, when you think about it, we're all in eternal debt to Greece for inventing Greek yogurt. When you try an Aristophanes yogurt, just like the Acropolis, you'll lose your marbles over that smooth Greek taste every time. Aristophanes yogurts. Keep it Greek. Thanks to Ben Partridge from the Beef and Dairy Network for letting us run that very important yogurt message, Paula. (laughs) And by the way, what a fun podcast, the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. So we have three guesses. Looks like Derek, you're at 1895. You are you're you're hoping that it happened uh, recently, relatively recent compared to 1500. Yes. (laughs) And speaking of 1500, Paula, how good you feeling about that? You know, something tells me I should have just picked year one. Because every time I've tried to pick a year that's reasonable, meaning anything other than one, it's always come back to bite me. Oh, now, j- I know that that's not going to be the case this time because this guy lived in the United States, but still, uh, uh, if it's four- just should have picked year one on principle. If it's 1498, it's going to be great. OG, uh, 1837, what are you thinking? Uh, not much. Not thinking about much. <laughs> no idea. Well, Doug, speaking of a guy who doesn't think about much, uh, Doug, how about the answer to today's question? Welcome back from the break, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Well, I'm sure you're all huddled around your phone or your computer wondering about the answer to today's question. So let's get right to it. For those of you with short-term memory issues, yeah, you should probably see somebody about that. Here was your question one more time. What year did Isaac Fisher Jr. patent sandpaper? The answer? If you said the year Congress censured Andrew Johnson, you'd be correct. If you said the year Abraham Lincoln was elected to the Illinois State Legislature, I mean, who doesn't know that? You're right on track. In other words, if you said 1834, you would be right on. Go celebrate by howling at the moon just like Larry W.'s dog. You deserve it. See ya. No! <laughs> Son of a biscuit. Man, I was in the right area. Gosh darn it. How many times have you done that? All of them. Yeah. Got it within a couple of years. And uh no way. And missed. But Paula, how are you feeling? You're now tied with OG at six. I'm feeling great. Gonna get some I'm, yogurt now? I'm tied for last. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's that one, Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last. So, not bad. Oh my god, that is darn close, everybody. <laughs> that was that was very close. I could see you when Doug started talking about the uh, Andrew Johnson, oh, Andrew Johnson, and and uh, who's the other guy that he talked about? Uh, it's some guy named Lincoln. <laughs> some Never character. Nah. Let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney, you know what you'll find there, Derek? You're going to find that those financial products people use every day, 
they aren't close to the best in class, especially if they're at a brick and mortar bank. Over 92% of the products available online, all ranked from head to toe at magnifiedmoney.com. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash money for more. And today we're going to help somebody magnify their money. It's Loretta. Say hi, Loretta. Hi, Joe and OG. I'm calling to ask a question about how to talk to my parents about their 401k. My parents are retired and in their 70s. They own their home outright, have no debt, and have a pretty healthy amount of emergency savings. Currently, they receive Social Security and payments from my dad's pension, which more than covers their basic living expenses. However, my mom was diagnosed with a terminal illness, so money became more of a concern with recent unexpected medical expenses. Luckily, my dad has a hefty sum of money in his 401k that he can withdraw from if necessary. Side note, his first RMD is next year. While this eased most of my worries, I discovered that more than 90% of his portfolio is in one stock. I told my parents that I thought it would be better to have more allocated to bonds or move some of the money into an S&P 500 index fund at the very least, but they seemed hesitant to change anything since this particular blue chip company stock has paid a 2% dividend and the stock has luckily outperformed S&P 500 over the last 30 years. What would you suggest my parents do with their 401k now that they're retired? Am I worrying too much about their allocation when it's a blue chip stock or are they really taking a lot of unnecessary risk? Ideally, they would talk to a real financial advisor, but they seem hesitant to do that as well since they have some trust issues. I appreciate your great work on the podcast and I'm hoping the t-shirt is worth the uncomfortable task of recording this voicemail and possibly hearing it played back. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. I can't, how many years did it take us to get used to Paul, have you gotten used to the sound of your voice on the podcast? No, I still sometimes cringe when I'm, I'm listening to yeah. my own show. It is. It I, is. I feel like I sound better at 1.5 X speed, but at one X speed, <laughs> I just can't deal with it. With your own voice. That's all. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> if we could speed me up a little bit, get to the point, Paula. Uh, let's start Derek. Uh, man, what do you think? Well, First, Loretta, I'm I'm heart, I'm sorry to hear about your mother. It's definitely a tough time for any family, but unfortunately, it's also a fact of life. First, I do want to compliment you on your maturity and fortitude for addressing the money piece during this time. You certainly are right to be worried about that single stock. Sometimes getting people to let go of that stock, especially if it's really successful over a long period of time, can be emotional. And getting around that is different for each person. One tactic is to look at the plenty of so-called blue chip stocks that have failed spectacularly over the years. GE is probably the most recent one that comes to mind. Now, before getting into the stocks versus bond debate, I think you should first look at developing an estimate of those upcoming medical expenses. And since that's a near-term expense, I suggest you not expose any of that amount to market fluctuations. Maybe look at something like a, on a, a money market fund that invests in short-term U.S. treasuries. That way you have that money set aside and it's there for those medical expenses. After that, yes, look at selling most or all of that single stock and uh, investing that in a diversified portfolio, whatever fits the rest of the financial plan. You didn't provide enough information to really recommend a specific allocation and To your question about the S&P 500 fund, yeah, that's fine for the equity portion of the portfolio, especially if you're doing it yourself because it's simple. Nice. It's interesting. 
I really like what you said, especially, well, like all what you said, but I really like the, the part about looking at past blue chips. One thing I like there, Derek, when, back when I was a financial planner, I like the visual of the chart. And I found sometimes showing clients the chart versus talking about the names. Like you can talk about the names all day, but you showed them a chart of what happened with GE and say, this could be you. Do you use a lot of visuals when you do things like what you just proposed? Well, lucky for me, I have not had to face that specific situation. Generally, since my clients are younger, they are more in tune with the modern thinking of being well diversified. And I usually catch them before they put all their money in their own company stock. And when I run into that situation, I simply explain, I think OG may have said something like this in the past, but you don't want to lose your job during a recession from the same company whose stock is also getting clobbered by the recession. Right. Right. How bad is that? Like double kick. Paula, what do you think? Anything to add? Yeah, I, I understand their hesitation in not wanting to meet with a financial advisor because you never know what individual has, A, what their incentives are and B, what the soundness of their judgment is. So instead, I would give your parents a stack of books. I would give them Millionaire Teacher by Andrew Hallam. I would give them A Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. I would give them, I would just give them a big stack of books that teach the basics of personal finance and investing, Investing 101. And from those books, they could read for themselves and they could learn for themselves the benefit of asset allocation and the benefit of of index fund investing and not being too concentrated in a single stock. We got visuals and we've got books. OG? (laughs) Well, I think there's a couple of things. Derek is right. I mean, at some level, you just kind of have to play the heavy hand a little bit and say, well, what's the better likelihood that all 500 companies, top 500 companies, biggest 500 companies in the entire United States all go belly up on the same day or that your company does? And it's obviously pretty foolish to assume that you have a lower risk by having one individual investment than you have you know, 500 using the S&P, for example. The argument of I like my 2% dividend is also pretty moot because the S&P dividend is like 2.3 or 2.4 anyway right now. So you'd actually get more money if you did it on a cash basis. But let's just assume that it has beat the S&P over the last 30 years. I'm not going to look and see what it is, but let's say that the S&P return over the last 30 years is 10% and your stock's gotten 12. La-di-da you've gotten to the point where you're financially successful now. Why do you want to continue taking the, all of the risks that got you there? I heard this in a um, podcast or a book. I can't remember where I, where I got this from, so I apologize, whoever came up with this idea. But investing can be a lot like trees in that if you diversify too early, you don't get that benefit of that big bang from an individual concentrated ownership. So you think of like a pear tree, for example, and the person that was describing this says, you know, pear tree splits off basically at the ground into two different branches. And consequently, they don't get very big. And when they do get big, they collapse. And then you contrast that to like an oak tree, which obviously has a bigger trunk and starts diversifying its branches, so to speak, 15 or 20 feet off the ground. And then you look at something like a redwood that goes up 100 feet or whatever, and then starts branching out. If you've been successful already in investing and you happen to get it right, I mean, that's really what it is at this point. You just got lucky for 30 years. 
and you were right for 30 years. So do you want to put all your chips on red and hope that you're right for the next 30 years? I think that's pretty foolish to assume that you will be. But by the same token, you're still the kid. And so when it comes to talking with parents about money, your mom and dad are 70, you're 40, you're still the person that crapped in their pants half a lifetime ago. You know what I mean? You may be a really smart person. You may be, you know, the world's foremost expert on whatever, but you're still their kid. And so at some level, you just have to be okay with however they decide to move forward. The unfortunate thing is you end up picking up the pieces of the the likely mistakes that end up happening, whether it's, you know, financially or otherwise. And that can be very frustrating, but it's a real fine line between your relationship parent to child between suggesting, Hey, I think there's a better way, dad, and watching them do the thing that you know is detrimental. So you just propose it. Paul's idea of giving books, I think is great. I think I would approach it from the perspective of just asking questions. You know, I would say, well, what do you like so much about insert stock name here? Oh, I like my 2% dividend. Well, if we could get a 2% dividend or more, would you be open to some other ideas? Maybe. Okay. You know, and just kind of start walking down that and say, you you can kind of lead that conversation if you're comfortable with it, but ultimately it's their choice. So you just have to respect the fact that they may make a choice you wouldn't make. doesn't make it wrong. doesn't make it good, but you know, it's a tough position to be in. We're obviously not going to solve all of this today, but I love all three of those suggestions. I do want to ask one question of you, Paula, which is to the extent that some of this, you know, might be cultural, like, uh, you know, OG talks about children giving advice to mom and dad, a family originally from Nepal, your parents open to advice from you about money? Well, they are, but I mean, I'm probably a special case because they see that I talk about money all day, every day on my blog and my podcast. Okay. So, yes, when it comes to conversations about money, they're pretty open to advice. I'm trying to think of another topic, though, that parents would typically be reluctant to take advice from kids about. I've talked to them a couple of times about how carbs are the enemy um, and fats are not as bad as (laughs) as we once believed in the 1980s. And they've they've taken a long time to come around to that one. (laughs) Well, I just think it's I think it's interesting, especially in this case. Right. You know, we're talking to Loretta here and she says, hey, mom has this illness. I bet you in great detail that conversation came out. Right. Here's what's going on. Here's the treatment plan. Here's here's the physicians. Here's the people that we talk to. Here's all the things that we've learned. Da 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 da. So at some level, it's, it is a little bit cultural in that you're comfortable telling somebody, "Here's all the problems wrong with my insides," but then you talk about money. You go, well, then I got it. Yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't need your opinion about that. I bet you, you know, it probably took some. I don't say advice, but we're open to conversation around the illness component of it, right? Oh, have you, I I read this online. Have you thought about this approach? Or there's this physician who's an expert in this, you know, that's in this city. Maybe we should try to get an appointment type of thing. They would be open to that. But then you propose, hey, I think you should diversify your 401k. It's like, ah, you don't know what to do. (laughs) Right. 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 It's just different. It's cultural. Derek, your family talk about money. Could you talk about money with your parents? Yes, I do. But I I will admit it's, just like in many families, it's not always the easiest thing. Right. Um, but in our case, we also are in business together in some forms, not in the financial planning world. So 
there's a little bit more ongoing discussion on that subject. Thanks for the question, Loretta. And I'm sorry to hear about mom. I certainly hope that uh, the answers were worth the t-shirt that you're going to get. The greatest money show on earth t-shirt about what a circus this thing is. By the way, if you have a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And that's how we can help you magnify your money as, as well. That's going to do it for today, guys. Let's talk about what's going on where you live. OG, why don't we, we'll let our guests go last. What's, uh, what's happening with you this weekend? So uh, this weekend, tomorrow actually is my anniversary, or as I like to call it, the one-year renewal time period that Mrs. OG gets to decide whether or not she's going to re- re-up. That's a phrase that, Derek, you're familiar with. So Mrs. OG gets to decide if she's re-upping tomorrow. She's got till midnight at noon. Um, <laughs> assuming everything goes well, then um, then we're going to head to Aladdin, as a matter of fact, to see the Broadway show Aladdin uh, touring here in Dallas on Father's Day. Awesome. Turns out, a lot of tickets available on Father's Day, not a lot of dads are like, Hey, I got an idea. Let's go. <laughs> so we got some pretty sweet seats. No, I did not buy 42 seats hoping to resell. <laughs> you did just, just in case people want to know, we'll head off yeah. the emails at a time. Right. That's right. Paula, what's happening at afford anything at afford anything. I have an episode in which my former co-host Jay money what? is, uh, making a cameo. He's going to come back and talk about all of the things that he's been up to. So that's going to air next week on the Afford Anything podcast. That is so awesome. Anywhere where you download podcasts. Yeah, you're getting the band back together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And he has been up to a lot in the in the years since he's left the show. So he's another baby, a lot of just a lot of a lot of stuff in his life. It's amazing how much can happen in a few years. That's crazy. Shows how the plans always change, right? Why you stay on top of your money. Yeah, exactly. Right. Derek, man, thanks a ton for joining us today. It's about time we got you on the show. Definitely. I appreciate being here. Uh, As far as this weekend, well, tomorrow I'm going whitewater rafting for the first time. So we'll see what that's like. I did check my insurance policy this week to make sure that wasn't an exclusion. Um, Nothing big for Father's Day, though. My father's birthday is actually the next weekend. So we're delaying everything until then. Uh, And I'll head up to Kentucky for that. Awesome. That's and, such BS, by the way. What do you mean? My birthday's by Christmas. And when people do that crap, like, well, you know, I'll, you do uh, my Father's Day and then around your birthday. It's like, no, man, I get two things. <laughs> Hook me up. Well, don't forget to call your dad on Father's Day. Each is Send all, him something. I've got him tickets to Churchill Downs on the 20th. There you go. All right. Oh, nice. Uh, and Derek, how do people get a hold of you? Well, I do have a website militaryfa.pxadvisor.com. Um, but frankly, if you search my name in Google, I will show up. And just uh, Google me. I love it. <laughs> Mic drop. Find me, Google me, dude. I'm Googleable. It's probably the easiest way, <laughs> but I'm on every social media platform. I would say they can say hi to you on Twitter pretty easily. It's uh, the, is it the military FA? Yeah. At the military FA. Yeah, at the Military FA. And you know, we'll have all Derek's links on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. That's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks for playing. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take this advice from our roundtable discussion. Retirement? Sure, it's about the numbers, but it's also about the why. You can't just retire from something. You have to think about what you're retiring to. Second, holding on to one stock for your financial future 
There's far more risk of a single company blowing up than there is a mutual fund or exchange-traded fund. While single stocks can make you wealthy, they can also disappear as fast as Joe's hair. But the big lesson? Don't tell Joe's mom the joke about the dog and the sandpaper. Okay, okay, I'll tell it. What did the dog say when he rubbed his nose on the sandpaper? Ruff! <laughs> I almost, I mean, it's so funny, I almost couldn't even say the punchline with a straight face. Oh my God, it's just, it's so simple, it's amazing. Uh, I usually save the good stuff for the sizzler, so you're welcome. Special thanks to Derek Merkler for joining us. You'll find Derek's firm at pxadvisors.com or say hello to him on Twitter. He's at the military FA. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. And if you love my sandpaper joke, listen to the aptly named Doug's Super Hilarious Joke of the Week podcast. It's absolutely gut-busting hilarious, says Aaron524 in the comments. I think Aaron524 is right on. I mean, here's what she says. Brilliant podcast and only five minutes long. Comes out once a week, about as often as OG's humility. <laughs> oh, Aaron524. See? What? No, 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 no. Five, Aaron524 isn't me. I mean, I mean like, who cares anyways? I mean, it's a good name, right? I mean, Aaron524. Oh, right. So what if maybe I am Aaron524? I mean, is that really a crime? Is it a crime to love your own work? You guys always say love what you do. Well, I mean, maybe somebody took that to the next level, loved it, and told everyone about it. All right, okay, fine. You know, it, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we can buy that. I think it's really funny. He says, Google me, right? Hey, if you want to check me out, Google me, man. I'm everywhere. <laughs> so uh, this is my anniversary weekend. Married 17 years. Mrs. OG and I have been together for 22, over 22 years now. So anyways, when we first started dating, her friend 
hooked me up with her. She said she worked with me, her friend did, and said, you have to meet this woman, high school kid that I'm working with. We were young a long time ago. And, uh, you know, I was like, I don't, you know, no, I'm good. I don't. But then she brought her in and said, hey, I want you to meet my friend. Okay, she's pretty cute. Fine. So then her friend says after a day, well, how about you give her a call? And I said, that's ah, not really a thing. That's not. No, I'm not going to call her. If she wants to call me, she can look me up in the phone book. <laughs> I no jokes like that. <laughs> if you asked her, she would tell you the same story. So unbeknownst to me, there are two OGs in the phone book. One was my uncle's phone number who hadn't lived in the town for forever, but he still owned the house. So according to Mrs. OG, she, uh, she's got about two thirds of the way through the phone number and then hung it up and said, screw this. You know, I'm not going to, if he wants to talk to me, he can. And so my, <laughs> so my, my work colleague, her friend came the next day and said, listen, we are going out to this, you know, thing. We're going to this Halloween thing. You're coming and you guys are going to hang out. So that was the beginning of that. But talk about like <laughs> almost missing 20 years of glory. You know, like, <laughs> Yeah, you can just uh, Google me, you know, <laughs> the equivalent of Googling me back in 1997. So yeah. be, be careful, well, Eric. You, you weren't carrying around the... the search engine on your phone. <laughs> Paula? The, the, I said it didn't even occur to me that the phone book would be a prehistoric Google. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yep. I want to talk just briefly about this idea of uh, sandpaper. Because uh, from our trivia question, there's things that are kind of sandpaper to you that aren't sandpaper to everybody else. Like, I, and I'll give you my personal example. I, I can't stand lima beans. I just absolutely, no, no reason. No, I mean, they just okay. taste, I mean, they taste I horrible. I forgot they existed until you just brought it up, but. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are. They are absolutely horrible. But uh, Paula, what's sandpaper to you? <laughs> this is quite the metaphor you're making stretch, Joe. <laughs> right, I am. <laughs> All right. So what do I dislike? Uh, but just kind of for no real, you know what I mean? I mean, lima beans that I just don't get along. I've learned to deal with it, but it is totally sandpaper. It's It rubs me the wrong way. Huh. Uh, let's see. Cold showers. I mean, I, but, <sighs> but there's a good reason for that because they're terrible. <laughs> Have you seen all those studies, though, about cold showers? And I always think, man, I'm going to try this. And then I jump in there for two seconds. I'm like, nope, not trying that. Yeah, I hate being cold. Like and water pool. is the fastest way to get cold. So cold showers, being in a cold body of water, like cold lakes, cold ponds, just being submerged in cold water in any way, <laughs> shape or form. Just I'm not not doing it. No, nope. I don't care how healthy it is. Not doing it. Sounds like a plot to a horror movie. It does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Derek, how about you? Well, I'm kind of in the same <laughs> I'm in the same boat as Paula on this. There's a lot of things. I, I can make a long list of things I don't like, but you know, they all have a reason. So maybe the most trivial ones are uh tailgating in cars when people, you know, tailgate um <laughs> Overuse of the semicolon. <laughs> That's another <laughs> one that drives me insane. <laughs> and that comes from some of my experiences uh, when I was in the army. And uh, along those same lines, not using the Oxford comma. Oh, oh, Paula, where, where do you stand on the Oxford comma? Ah, um, so 
the Oxford comma in sequence. So if you're if you're separating three things like X comma Y, and then there's yeah. that debate over do you put that comma after Y and before you say and Z? Ooh, you know I could go either way on it. Yeah, I could. I really could. Oh, you're one of the few people I've ever met that are neutral on that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say I, I typically don't use it within my own writing, but if somebody does, it doesn't bother me. The Oxford comma has destroyed friendships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Derek, I have to say, when you say, when you talk about tailgating, tailgating doesn't do it for me. But if you're the moron driving slow in the passing lane in your own little world, that drives me crazy. That That is sandpaper. That's not even sandpaper. That is just... There's a reason for that, though. Why? Part of the sandpaper point is that you don't like it but there's no reason oh yeah good point there's a reason you yes somebody sitting in the left lane drives you insane yes but my wife will tell you i get inordinately angry about that yeah so maybe maybe that oh gee uh, there's 50 things this conversation absolutely (laughs) so allow me to start on the food front since you brought up lima beans i am 100 on zucchini and squash they belong in no food whatsoever except bread i can take zucchini bread but otherwise that vegetable should be eradicated from the planet it is the grossest thing ever they're so good Ugh, they're so nasty there's no no way to like make that good otherwise pretty good on the food front don't really care order what you want eat what you get type of thing except zucchini i hate 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 the stupid plane analogies associated with financial planning, <laughs> landing the plane glide slope, which, and I even just hate saying it. It makes me now here's the other funny thing about this that you get Joe is that one of the things I'm doing right now as a hobby is I'm trying to learn how to fly. So oh, I have nice. to say these words in context and it just makes me eye roll. Like, have you uh, captured the glide slope yet? I'm like, shut up, dude. Like, yeah, we're like landing. I got it. Now, when we land the plane, you want to, you know, there is one that I can kind of get behind, which is staying ahead of the aircraft. Like that, that saying, I can kind of get behind on the financial planning front, but using the stupid plane announced, well, in a plane, you're not always flying in the direction because you got to take into account wind drift. And uh, just like financial planning, it's like, oh, <laughs> I am, I am happier than ever now that I've used that 97,000 times over the past, what, eight, nine years. You didn't know that I hated it? No, I did not. But now that oh, I do. I was certain you knew. I'm That's using it. it. I'm going to use it nonstop now. Yeah. I'm going to start using that in the Facebook group, too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Remember who's admins to that, by the way. Yeah. You're going to get muted pretty quickly. <laughs> oh, no, I'm there. I got your back, Derek. I got your back. <laughs> Well, Stackers, this episode is over, but you know what? Your homework has just begun, and it's not about what you know. It's about what you do. And partnering with the right organizations is a huge part of your success. Well, let me tell you, becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Now, not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example... You could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, 
Maybe you want to consolidate debt. Begin, stackers, with your debt strategy. Decide what the best terms are and conditions for the debt that you want to take, and then decide on the products. And with Navy Federal, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing costs or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable as you work your way through life. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required, Terms and conditions apply, loans subject to approval.